Japan Exchange Group joins the Nikkei 225 at the same time as Tadawal announces a new derivatives market. From throughout the world, welcome to the Bourse Business Weekly Digest. It's the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast with me, Patrick L. Young. A wave of relief hit the European clearing houses this week. ESMA, their third EU-wide CCP stress test, found the system reliant to shocks, even in the wake of the unprecedented volatility of the COVID-19 era. Hooray and indeed well done to all the European CCPs who have received a sound vote of confidence from the EU's regulators. Meanwhile, the EU will grant temporary market access for UK derivatives clearers. Hooray! A vote of Brexit clarity at last. After all the time wasted, the shouting and threats, the tiresome innuendo, the relentless attempts to bully and a mammoth amount of bluster, we're starting to see the clarity I noted would likely emerge unless the EU truly lost its mind. Finally, those who are analysing and not merely shrill advocates of the EU are being proven correct. Yes, I feel pleasantly vindicated. And if you've been reading since 2016 or before, you will have had an accurate picture to work with in the Exchange Invest daily newsletter, which preceded even the 54 episodes of this podcast. As opposed, unfortunately, to the outside world, where a multitude of inaccurate analysts and simply dismal media outlets have been perpetually telling us completely incorrect information. Elsewhere, we had European community guidance that European Union consumers can hold UK bank deposit accounts after Brexit and indeed after January the 1st next year. Gradually, the European Union is heading towards some form of UK market access agreement and indeed potentially a free trade agreement. Progress remains painfully slow, but the pan-EU solidarity appears to be cracking. UV Luxembourg, which is looking at its own equivalency regime amongst the EU27. Essentially, the Ramoner fantasies of doom have now been proven to be the Alice in Wonderland variety, while the EU and its component nations are edging towards delivering what a few years ago many, but not Exchange Invest, or indeed ELY's pith, would have been deemed establishment. Six impossible things before breakfast. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly. We welcome your feedback. You can contact me directly, patrick at derivativesvision.com with any comments. Meanwhile, if you enjoyed this show, we would welcome you giving us a thumbs up. Or if you have time, a positive review will always be welcome wherever you find this podcast. In Hong Kong this week, exciting news. The brokerage Hyatai International, a Chinese mainland brokerage, is bringing zero-fee trading. However, they're not going to manage the same smoke and mirrors free element of order flow sale in the USA, where, of course, your order as a retail client is actually sold to somebody to execute for a handy sum of money, thus enabling the likes of Robinhood to give you supposedly, in inverted commas, free execution. In Hong Kong dollars, this appears to be a discount war, rather, with Yate thinking they've got the biggest pockets for some alt form of profit from being the king of the kids and therefore holding huge portfolios. That ought to squeeze further the overbrokered Hong Kong community, while Huate are paying brokerage and the Hong Kong stamp duty transaction tax. 
It'll be interesting to see where this eventuates. One piece of news indeed from Robinhood this week, their UK launch could be further delayed amid fallout over their recent customer suicide, that tragedy in the USA we discussed a few weeks ago. The Pakistan Stock Exchange, the facilitators of the attack on the abortion itself, has apparently been traced. And meanwhile, the PSX will be resuming normal trading hours, was the news this week. Over in Uzbekistan, the government have approved a strategy to develop competition on commodity and financial markets in the period from 2020 onwards. Uzex, UZEX, remains actually one of my favourite markets you've never heard of. With its ultra-efficient and low-cost delivery of commodities in all shapes and sizes to the Uzbek economy, and apparently it managed that in a neutral, properly exchange-like, without fear or favour approach. Speaking of without fear or favour approaches, that sadly can't be said of the Zimbabwean government. They're now trying to eject Old Mutual, a staple of the African continent in financial services, from being listed on the bourse. Quite bizarre altogether this whole episode, which is taking place against the background of the Zimbabwe stock exchange itself having been forcibly closed down by the government, and of course the idea that somehow or other a Victoria Falls International Financial Services Centre kind of foreign currency stock exchange can actually manage to take off. With these sorts of signs, it looks to me as if the moment for free markets in Zimbabwe has, to put it mildly, paused. One place which still retains broadly free markets, India, the Bombay Stock Exchange, BSE, they've signed an MOU with the IIT Alumni Council, hoping to encourage the listing of more startups. And that came in the midst of a, well, a huge frenzy to try and deliver more SME business and SME listings to the BSE exchange. Polonyx, they've launched a futures exchange, which is from their headquarters, apparently in the Seychelles. However, it's unlikely to escape the wrath of regulators such as, say, ESMA for long, given the fact that their futures exchange has killer leverage up to 100 times, thus hugely breaking recent precepts by the European regulators, amongst others, to try and rein in the greatest excesses of leverage. In Poland, GPW Ventures, that's the venture capital arm of the Warsaw Stock Exchange, they've signed a memorandum of understanding with government body KOWR to invest jointly in the development of Polish agriculture. Finally, one unfortunate piece of news in the first section this week, Tehran Stock Exchange have been forced to cancel their AGM due to the COVID crisis. There's only one daily news source for the business of bourses, Exchange Invest, the exchange of information. Exchange Invest publishes the daily digest of everything in the market structure industry around the world in a user-friendly email briefing format from Monday to Friday. With additional pith by former Exchange CEO and long-standing fintech pioneer Patrick L. Young, yes, that's me, Exchange Invest is the unique one-stop shop for the daily news in markets, market operators and related functions. Exchange Invest is available to subscribers at $200 per user per year or currency equivalent. You can get more details at exchangeinvest.com or email me, patrick at derivativesvision.com. In deals this week, only one deal fully completed. The Nairobi Securities Exchange have nearly doubled their stake in the Central Depository and Settlement Corporation of Nairobi to 40.5%. Total cost in local currency, 112 million shillings. In terms of new markets, quite a boon this week. It's exciting how many new things are coming to market throughout the world. First of all, huge shakeup in Saudi Arabia as the market we'd been waiting to hear being announced. The Derivatives Exchange and also its clearing house are going to be launched. That's the Mukasa CCP. 
Q3 should be the date of first trades for Saudi Arabia's entry into the derivatives market, which will come ahead of the planned IPO of the bourse itself. Elsewhere, Coinbase, a leading cryptocurrency exchange, is apparently readying itself for a stock market listing. That's very interesting news. It contrasts with the Binance CEO, CZ, applauding Coinbase while adding he intends to further decentralize his Binance entity. Back to Coinbase, they had an $8 billion valuation at the last round in 2018. However, that strikes me as rather optimistic for those who are rational to the high fees of crypto trading, or of course entirely cheap if you're selling to the bubble mania crowd in Robinhood or beyond. Having said that, if Coinbase comes in at, say, $10 billion or above, I struggle to see it as justifying a valuation in the region of, say, CBOE over the longer term. Interesting entrant to the corporate bond trading markets, the R3 chief, David Rutter, he has assembled a team to build a new corporate bond trading platform, Ledger Edge, it will be called, built on, of course, the R3 technology. Interesting team being assembled. CEO will be David Nickel, himself formerly of IBM and R3, Ian Chicken, formerly of ICAP and Brokertech, amongst other places, as COO, and Bob Bowes, formerly of Santander and NICE Euronext, as CTO. Meanwhile, IPSX has finally opened its door as the International Property Securities Exchange, trading out of London under an MTF licence. Meanwhile, if you're headed to the beach or you're still under lockdown on a considerable increase in the quantitative easing of waves that seem to be happening with COVID-19, of course we know COVID-19 is a killer. Can it kill your career or is that the impact of fintech destroying your business? It's a victory or death world of risk and opportunity. To understand how technology is affecting life and markets, there's a new book to help you. 20 years on from the excitement of the original fintech bestseller Capital Market Revolution, it's time to look at some of those loose strands hanging around which need a spot of perspective, whether you are an exchange parishioner, a fintech professional, or anybody just trying to stay abreast of where technology is now driving investments and finance. Victory or death, blockchain cryptocurrency in the fintech world is an easy read explaining the differing and diverging role of banks and exchanges, explaining the winning business models of the new world order, and placing in perspective just what Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency mean for markets. It's a binary world. Your career will sustain or collapse in the next stage of the digital world, hence the title Victory or Death, lest you need reminding of the exciting times for finance in which we are living. Victory or Death is published by DV Books and is distributed by Ingram Worldwide. Product news this week. The London Metals Exchange have started shining a bit more transparency into off-warrant stocks by publishing reports of said items of most interest or off-warrant stocks for aluminium, which, according to the first report, were at 1,004,227 tonnes in warehouses registered to issue LME warrants. It's a somewhat semi-seismic move for the aluminium markets potentially. Meanwhile, semi-seismically, Eurex are targeting the long end of the euro yield curve. Their new Booksell options will launch soon. I suppose if he were still alive today, his latest movie could be Indiana Jones and the Quest for Yield, a task which makes the Holy Grail quest relatively feasible by comparison during the era of quantitative easing. Eurex targeting the last tip of positive yield is a good idea, for indeed there is, apparently, a slight, a modest, a positive return nonetheless at 30 years in the Eurozone yield curve. 
targeting that is a good idea, although some may also see this as a move to abandon the shorter tenors to ice. Domination through your eyebore, given the current breadth of coherence on clearings seemingly wafting across the EU27 and Brexit Britain from Brussels. Anyway, building on the Bund to get to 30 years is a good idea for Eurex on the euro yield curve. As whatever happens to the euro currency itself, the likelihood is EU27 government debt addiction may mean a greater emphasis on longer tenors in the future to avoid the crowding of the 10 year zone, commonly seen as the tip of the extremity of the yield curve within continental Europe. Given how broadly debt addicted that continent is, they need all the help they can get over as many funding avenues as they can find. In Hong Kong, the first Honya-based interest rate swaps have been cleared, while the Dubai Gold and Commodity Exchange are expanding their Indian Rupee product suite with a launch of weekly INR futures contracts. Indeed, with that link to India, the National Stock Exchange of India, they're going to be accepting gold bars produced by Indian refiners for settlement of their upcoming gold futures contracts. Given the elemental nature of gold, there ought not to be any issues with who smelted which bar, but it appears from even LBMA there has been a pecking order of preference according to the refiner over the years. Elsewhere, interesting discussions, although we're not privy to what's been concluded, between the UAE's regulator alongside the Abu Dhabi Securities Exchange, the Dubai Financial Market and the Dubai Golden Commodity Exchange, seeking proposals to improve performance and introduce new financial products to attract a new segment of investors. Meanwhile, over at the Bank of England, the Governor Bailey is saying now is the time to plan for the post-LIBOR era. I think it's fair to say everybody in the parish is super pumped about being prepared for the world after LIBOR. The only difficulty is it may remain unclear just what, or rather how many, benchmarks replace LIBOR for perhaps years to come. I expect a dichotomy of rates and products even as the blob tries to corral us into singularity. Regulators will come to rue the flawed singularity era as much as part of the simpler life before currencies became competitive in a digital age, thus undermining much of the myth, magic and implied superiority cum mystique of the central banking world order from the post-World War II and indeed the ashes that emerged after the Bretton Woods collapse. Interesting story from Bloomberg, LIBOR was largely guesswork at the height of volatility in March, ran the headline. Transactional data used to calculate sterling LIBOR all but vanished as markets became volatile in March, the story added. Albeit, while timber proves porous and highly volatile storms, I don't recall too many people opting to escape Noah's Ark, animals even, when the weather conditions were challenging. No argument, LIBOR can be improved upon, but we're still dangerously hasty in the abandonment of that benchmark, despite the earnest efforts by many to produce alternatives already under the kibosh of a hurried agenda by the blob itself. Meanwhile, one good issue between the blob, the government of the Bahamas, their government registered stock has launched on the Bahamas International Securities Exchange, BISX. Delighted to see that they finally managed to launch the trading of government bonds after lengthy preparations. Mini VIX futures are coming August the 10th. They will be on the CBOE Futures Exchange. And also CME Group will be launching on August the 31st, their micro e-mini options. At the same time, those happen to be still incorporating what I believe are fundamental design flaws. Meanwhile, Brave New Coin, they have signed a multi-year deal to power cryptocurrency index options trading on a new marketplace, the Toronto Futures Options Swaps Exchange. 
Fascinating to see a new Canadian ETD venue working towards regulatory approval with an anticipated launch of next year. Elsewhere, back in India, MCX, they're seeking SEBI approval to relaunch potato contracts. And indeed, the Indian government has given the go-ahead to electricity derivatives and forward contracts. While the squabble over rules for coffee trading goes on, tragically, around and about the Nairobi Coffee Exchange in Kenya. In technology, Fintech MDAC and the Thai Stock Exchange are tying up to show the prices of the benchmark Thai Set50 index in 10 currencies. A great move, I say, albeit something I was suggesting to incumbents since, well, about 2002. Elsewhere, London Stock Exchange Group, they have selected the Ion Treasury Reval Centre for hedge accounting and VMware have invested in the enterprise blockchain firm Digital Asset. As it extends its C-series round, the firm has now closed the main 35 million funding at the end of last year. They've added VMware to that roster with a panoply of investors, including Salesforce Ventures, Samsung Ventures, Accenture, ASX, Broadridge, City, Deutsche Börse, DTCC, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, IBM and others. Gosh, I have to say I've completely lost perspective on the whole digital asset holdings thing. It now looks like a vast pyramid of endless venture capital to me, a sort of jab of the hot fintech plaything. Elsewhere, bad news for cryptocurrency exchanges. Apparently, they've been accepting something like $1.3 billion in Bitcoin stemming from what are termed euphemistically high-risk addresses. The top 10 crypto exchanges accepted funds include many of the leading names, such as Huobi, Binance and OKEX and BitMEX, amongst others. In crowdfunding, the UK has got its first Islamic peer-to-peer crowdfunding platform for SMEs, which is very interesting to see indeed. And meanwhile, in regulation, the Chinese super regulator has got tough on the cancer, as they put it, of fraud in capital markets. It's very encouraging and possibly will help the calming of Sino-US regulatory spats of late after we've seen the chairman of the Financial Stability and Development Committee, headed by the vice premier of China, Liu Yi, setting out seven measures to eliminate fraudulent activity in mainland Chinese capital markets following a meeting held last weekend. Elsewhere, SEBI say they're easing ownership rules for the gift city exchanges, but it looks as if a 5% blanket cap is going to remain on any shareholder as per local markets, which will clearly discourage overseas major FDI by other exchange groups. In People News this week, Matthias Zeschang, he's been elected the new chairman of the Exchange Council of the Frankfurt Stock Exchange, while the European Parliament confirmed François-Louis Michaud as the new EBA executive director. Now, as I understand it, the European Parliament demanded a female candidate for the European banking regulator, so therefore after vetoing two blokes, they endorsed a Frenchman. Well, how very EU. Over at Nairobi Securities Exchange, they've appointed and confirmed a new chairman of the board, Caprono Kitoni, who's also the chairman of Radio Africa Group and chief executive of Capital Real Time. He's replacing Samuel Kamani, who resigned after serving at the helm since 2016. And finally this week, ladies and gentlemen, we had the announcement on the wires that the London Stock Exchange and Lokosoko Group BLC have entered a new partnership for the deployment of hand sanitizer products within the LSE buildings. Clearly, ladies and gentlemen, if this gets ranked by the bots in my daily long list for the Exchange Invest newsletter, we can tell it must be summer. And on that mysterious and magnificent note, thank you very much for listening to this episode 54 of the Exchange Invest Weekly Podcast with myself, Patrick L. Young. Have a great week in markets. We'll be back next week. 
This show relates to the business of bourses. It is not to be construed as investment advice, nor are we making any investment recommendations. Please consult an investment advisor before you make any investments, and for goodness sake, do your due diligence and do not make investments without complying with the regulations in your home state. Exchange Invest cannot be held responsible for any investment decisions made as a result of our programme, which is for entertainment purposes only. The material herein is copyright Patrick L. Young at the date of publication, while our music and sound effects are sourced from copyright-free sources. Thanks for listening to Exchange Invest Weekly, the exchange of information.